Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. Of Jesus, Paul writes, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Laura, for reading our scripture. And as the kids are dismissed to their class. Uh, We can be turning in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, if you have a Bible in front of you. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse uh, 17. But back in 2013, uh, it made the news, 2013 and 14 especially, there were several major news outlets that reported on this new movement that started in London and it quickly spread called Sunday Assembly. Maybe you've heard about this um, There's new religious groups and new um, churches springing up all the time, but what made this movement unique was that it was church for atheists. Do you remember hearing about this? This appealed to those who had cast off their belief in God, but they still longed for the sense of community that church provided them, and they, of course, lost that when they stopped going to church. Attending a Sunday assembly, you might sing along to pop songs uh, rather than hymns, Rather than a sermon, you might hear a science lecture or poetry reading. Instead of prayer, you might bow your heads for a moment of silent awe and wonder. Leaving the church certainly left a void in these people's lives. An atheist church has been one way that some have tried to fill that void. They've tried to enjoy some things about church without church. There's a lot we could say here. Uh, about this and how our human nature points us to God and our longing for community itself points us to God. But for this morning, uh, I share that story because it begs the question, just what is church? As Christians, we can easily look at something like Sunday assembly and say, well, that's not really a church. And they wouldn't disagree with us, but what are the necessary elements that define a church. We would think, well, uh, faith in God, for one thing, uh, would be for starters, but what else? Is faith in God all that Sunday assembly is lacking to be a church? Now, we all uh, come to this topic with our own experiences. Maybe we grew up in church. Uh, We all have our preferences. But when we turn to Scripture and when we look at the history of the Christian church, we find a bit more clarity on just what the church is. We begin a new series this morning that seeks to explore this question. It's called Be the Church. And this topic of what is the church and how to be the church, this has been relevant to God's people since the beginning of the church, right? For 2,000 years, this topic 
has been relevant. As believers have constantly wrestled with what it means to follow Jesus as a community of disciples in a unique place and culture and time. And this topic might even take on a renewed urgency for us today with all of the current issues and divisions that are swirling. We have the effects of a pandemic that certainly has impacted how people view church. We have questions about virtual church. We have public failures of Christian leaders. We have those deconstructing their faith and leaving the church and saying that church is no longer vital part of being a Christian. Others are trying to use the church to accomplish a political agenda. I say all that to encourage us to see the need, the urgent need to address this topic, to see what the church is and what it's meant to be, to be reminded and to remember what Scripture teaches, and to find hope in really challenging times because God is still at work in his church. Now, if you notice our graphic, I love how the graphic designer that uh, we work with, he put a map in the background. And that really speaks to where we want to go in our series. After we spend some weeks uh, defining church and laying the groundwork of what a church is and why we do what we do, we also want to look at what it means for us uniquely to be the church right here in this corner, in this culture, in this time and place. This morning's sermon is just really the tip of the iceberg. We're just going to begin to answer the question, what is a church? And we'll see that Despite the church being made up, every church being made up of imperfect people, the church is still God's plan for growing us, for advancing Christ's kingdom on earth. Would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Well, our Father, as we have just sung the words, we ask that you would speak from your word. Father, we come in dependence in reliance on your spirit, we are grateful that you have called us to gather together this morning to worship you. And now, Father, we come before your word to receive your truth, to be transformed by your spirit more and more into the image of Christ together. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is a church? If you look church up in the dictionary, Oxford uh, defines the church as a building used for public Christian worship. Now, we say we're going to church, uh, but of course the church is not merely a building. You know the old uh, kids rhyme, right? Here's the church and here's this, everybody, why don't we do this if you know it, okay? I don't want to look like a fool up here doing it by myself. Here's the church, here's the steeple, look inside or open it up and what? See all the people, yeah. So the the rhyme gets a little closer than Oxford Dictionary because at least it has the people, right? Not all churches have uh, buildings, even. Not all churches have steeples, but they do have people. There are parts in the world uh, where Christians are persecuted. There's an underground church. And not all churches even have doors, but they do have people. We have all sorts of assumptions that color how we view the church. We might think, and we might not say these things, but some of these assumptions might creep into our thinking, right? We might look at the church as something to join like a club, and then maybe unjoin when we're disappointed and go to a better club down the street. We say we're going to church as if it's just a place. We want to enjoy church as if it's entertainment. 
So all of this is why we have to keep coming back to Scripture to align ourselves with what Scripture says, to reorient, to recenter ourselves in our thinking about what the church is and who we are as the church. And so as we start to answer this question, we'll ask it briefly, what is the church biblically and historically and practically? So if you're not already in Ephesians 2, you can turn there starting in verse 17. Now, this is not a complete definition in Scripture of what the church is, but just for a moment, compare in your minds as I read this text what some of the assumptions that I've shared, some of the assumptions that you may have, what our culture, even the dictionary, how it defines church, compared to what Paul says about the church. Verse 17, And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Isn't that incredible? But we do notice building imagery, don't we? Household built on a foundation, cornerstone, a structure that is joined together. But is he saying the church is a building, right? What is the structure? Look at verses 17 and 18 again. Jew and Gentile are brought together in one body with access to the Father in Christ through the Spirit. And by the way, notice the a Trinitarian nature of this passage. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, all deeply involved in the work of the church. But verse 19, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built. So what is, what is being built? You are being built. You are built, church, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So the people are the building that Paul speaks of. The citizens, the members of God's household, God's people are being built into a holy temple in the Lord and a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now God is, of course, everywhere. But in the Old Testament, God chose uniquely to dwell among his people in first the tabernacle and then the temple, a physical structure for worship and sacrifice and offering. It was a holy place where God would meet with his people, but the most holy place where God's glory was, was off limits to the people for their own protection from just the awesome might of God's holiness. Only the priest, the high priest, could enter and just once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. But when Christ died on the cross, the Gospels tell us that the veil, the curtain that separated the people from the most holy place was literally torn in half, showing literally and physically what Paul is saying spiritually here, that through Jesus, God's people, Jew and Gentile, together in one body, now have access, total access to God. And not just as a place now where we go to meet with God, but Paul says that now we, the church, are the temple, the dwelling place of God. So when we say every Sunday in the call to worship that God is with us as we gather, we mean it. 
Our triune God is at work in his church, building it. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So again, despite the imperfect people, despite our failures to rightly be the church as we should, God intends to use his church, and he is using his church. And that's not going to change. The word for church in the New Testament, the Greek word is ekklesia, which just means assembly or congregation. Ecclesiology is the study of church. And Paul speaks of the church here in its universal sense. All people, all of God's people around the world across time. All believers are part of this universal church. It's an invisible spiritual reality. But the New Testament also speaks of the local church. Paul's, Paul's epistles are filled with specific instructions to actual local congregations. So in our understanding of the church, we need to hold together this concept of the universal church and the local church. Both together are vital. Because we demonstrate our part in the universal church by our being a part of a local visible church. So already we see that the church is much, much more than what many of us might assume it to be. And it's easier to describe the church than it is to define it, isn't it? There's everyday visible realities in the church, but there's also these mysterious ways that God moves among his people. And so the New Testament uses several metaphors to help us to give us images to help us see our identity as God's people. We'll spend some time on some of these metaphors in the coming weeks. But Scripture calls the church the family and household of God, as we see in our passage. The body of Christ, the temple of the Spirit, the pillar and foundation of the truth, the bride of Christ, Christ's flock. These metaphors show us just how central the church is to God's plan in the world. And because the church is central... The church has been attacked. The enemy has sought to confuse and to divide the church over the centuries. Non-Christian groups and cults have misused Scripture to support their concept of what church is, which is why the church throughout history has rightly put up some signposts or guidelines or boundaries to help us stay on track. And we can benefit from those who have gone before us because they ask the same questions. What are the necessary ingredients of a church? Now, I am someone that has zero baking skills. I don't know if we have any bakers here. But I do know that when you're baking something, you have to have the right ingredients. If you're trying to make a cake, right, there's a million different flavors of cake and styles of cake, but you have to have certain essential ingredients or you start taking any of them away, you no longer have a cake, right? You have something else. Now, I've been trying for a while to be gluten-free for a while, and I tried my hand. I was feeling uh, brave one day, and I tried my hand at making gluten-free brownies. I thought, how bad could they be? (laughs) Now, as I said, I have zero baking skills, so that's an important disclaimer. But, hey, it was a box mix. I followed it to the T. This might be pride. But I'm going to suggest it was not my lack of baking skills. I'm going to suggest that there was an important ingredient missing. Why do I say that? Because brownies are supposed to be delicious. These brownies were not delicious. Right? They were lacking something. It turns out you need flour. 
to make brownies. Now, I know I'm going to get emails about the most incredible gluten-free brownie mixes, but you'll be wasting your time. My heart is hardened. I'll never make that same mistake again. But part of the beauty of the church is that it can look very, very different in different times and places and cultures. Like you can have a vanilla cake, you can have a strawberry cake. Both are very different experiences, but they're both cake, right? See, a church can look totally different from another, but they're both churches if they have the essential ingredients. The leaders of the Protestant Reformation, when all of a sudden there was a temptation for more and more different church groups to splinter off and say, no, we're the true church. No, we're the true church. It was important for them to lay down, here are some essentials. The reformers said the first essential mark of a true church is scripture. That's the rallying cry of the Reformation, sola scriptura. Martin Luther said that the sole, uninterrupted, infallible mark of the church has always been the word. Scripture alone is divinely inspired and authoritative. So a true church is a place where Scripture is proclaimed, where the gospel is preached, where the word of God is taught and God's people seek to live by it. The second mark of a Christian church they identified is faithful administration of the sacraments. Sometimes we call these ordinances, but baptism and the Lord's Supper are foundational practices of the church. They're visible proclamations of the gospel commanded by Jesus Christ uh, for his people. Now, some of the reformers added a third mark, and that is church discipline. Doesn't that just make everybody so excited? This might conjure up all sorts of unpleasant thoughts, but biblically, this just means that church leaders are responsible. They're called before God to protect the church from false doctrine, to admonish believers who are living in deliberate sin. Now, these are helpful. These two or three guidelines are really helpful as we try to narrow down just what a church must be. We can also look much earlier than the Reformation to the Nicene Creed of the 4th century, which we recite together twice a month. Have you noticed what we say we believe about the church? We believe in one what? Holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. One holy, Catholic, apostolic. Often called the four marks of the church. So the three marks that the reformers gave us are about what the local church has to have in order to be a real church, in order to be a true church. But the four marks that the creed gives us, now the church doesn't always rightly live into these, does it? The creed speaks more of the universal church. While one church here or there, while believers may fail to live up to these four marks, they are true nonetheless of the church, capital C, church. If you're still in Ephesians, you can flip over a page to chapter 4, verse 3. First, our creed tells us the church is one meaning it's single, unified body. Paul writes that believers are to be, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the point Paul's making here. The church is one. We say 
that every time we recite the creed. The church is also holy, meaning set apart. Now, this doesn't mean sinless. The church is certainly not sinless in this world. But God is using the church, God is working in the church to make us holy, to sanctify us, to make us holy through the Spirit and the Word and the sacraments. Third, the church is Catholic. Now, this word trips up a lot of us Protestants, doesn't it? But this doesn't mean Roman Catholic. The word Catholic in the creed simply means universal. So we've seen there is one universal church made up of all believers, as Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2, and as Christ speaks of in Matthew 16 when he says, I will build my church. And lastly, the church is apostolic. As Paul writes, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. This means the church guards and carries on the teaching of the apostles as revealed in Scripture. That's a really quick 30,000-foot view of the historical marks of a church, what a church must be to be a church, and also what the universal church ultimately is. We still may be struggling to wrap our heads around, in practical terms, what church is. Now, again, that's part of what we want to do over the next several weeks, so stick with us. But let's pull a few of these threads together. Let's go back to the Sunday school rhyme. Get your hands up. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. Here's all the people, right? So we got to remember the church is people. Not just any people, but those who are Christians. This isn't rocket science, folks. But sometimes people get confused and think they become a Christian or they are a Christian because they go to church. Is the church a building? No. See, so how could going to a building make you part of the church? See, we become part of God's household, part of the family of God, by putting our trust in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to reconcile us to the Father, to make us part of God's family. In other words, we don't become a Christian by joining a local church. But when we become a Christian, we become part of the universal church. And then we can join a local church. See, if, we're, if you're here this morning and you're not sure about your own faith in Christ or what it means to be the church, we'd love to speak with you. Just let us know. But the church is a gathering of Christ followers. We worship together. All of life is meant to be worship, but God has called us uniquely together to worship in community. And God meets us here. When we gather through the proclamation of the word and the sacraments, which are at the center of our service each week. So how can we define church? In their book, Rediscover Church, authors Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman attempt a definition, which I think is helpful, helps us to draw some of these many, many scriptural and historical threads together. You don't have to memorize this, but this may be helpful to you. A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. Now, there's a lot there. And again, we'll dig into certain aspects of this further in the coming weeks. But if this definition is too hard to get a hold of right all at once, here's another that they offer. 
The church is a group of people who know they've been loved by Christ and have begun to love one another like that. What a privilege to be part of Christ's community. To gather every Sunday to receive his provision so we can reflect his love to one another. See, the world can try to capture what it means to be the church. They can try, but they can't produce it on their own. Singing Stevie Wonder songs together doesn't make us a church. Listening to science lectures certainly aren't enough to make us a church. They don't sustain true community. And these groups are finding that and dwindling rapidly in numbers because true community is not sustained by taking some of these ingredients but missing the core, right? But now lest we judge, let's examine our own hearts. Let's examine and ask ourselves why we come to church, why we gather What are you looking for each Sunday when you come? Maybe you just come because your parents make you. Maybe you come to get an emotional experience. Maybe you come to gather Bible knowledge, to see your friends. All of those things are good and they have their place, but if that's it, then we're falling short of God's purpose for the church in our lives. This morning and throughout our series, let's come before God with open hearts. Let's recommit with God's help to his church. Let's recommit not just to show up, but to come ready to receive the love of Christ, ready to receive Christ's provision, ready to give ourselves to one another, ready to serve our neighbors. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, your Son who died and rose so we might be made members of your family. Now this is who we are, your sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of one another. We thank you, Father, for this church and the ways that you are at work among us. We ask your spirit to move in amazing ways as we continue to seek to be the church together. We pray that our study of the church would not just be head knowledge, would not just be greater understanding, but that you would allow our study to translate into growing hearts, into movement, into this community. Protect our church from attacks of the enemy. Grow in us a unity that can only come from you, that would be a witness and a testimony to what you are doing. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of gathering together for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And together.